now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The second reading is from Matthew 4, verse 12 to 17. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Well, George said to me, um, just talk about the kingdom of God. Um, So that's great. Uh, we've got a few minutes this morning to, to as, it, as it were, just sort of immerse ourselves. We're, we're going to be in the Beatitudes this term a lot. And um, if, if, you, if you understand the Beatitudes, uh, they are what God says to people who are in his kingdom. Uh, and therefore, it's important we understand what that kingdom is uh, so that we can understand what God is going to be saying to us this term, I believe, in profound ways. Those statements that we've just had read to us in the video are, are profound. They, they are so countercultural, it's almost unbelievable. Uh, poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn. Come on, that's not the modern world we live in, is it? Which is why we need to get what the kingdom really means, and then we can understand how we live in the kingdom and, and what that is all about. So what is the kingdom? Well, <clears throat> it's not what we traditionally mean. We, we live in the kingdom of Wessex, don't you know? I think it's Wessex, isn't it? Is it Wessex around here? Help me somebody. Yeah, it is. Great. Well, we used to have lots of kingdoms, didn't we? And then we became a united kingdom. And, and so that's a piece of real estate, as it were. Now, that actually doesn't help us greatly with, with what we understand by the kingdom of God. Um, because this is different. 
at the simplest level, it certainly isn't a piece of real estate. You can't sort of say, well, over there is the kingdom of God. What you can say is the kingdom of God is the place which has a king called Jesus. And that is the essence of what it means. At the very simplest level, it's the place where he rules over his people and his people acknowledge him as their king. And, and that's why we're going to be looking at the kingdom of God. It's up there, brilliant. I've done a video, a, a thing. What's it called? PowerPoint, that's right. Um, and everybody's surprised and amazed. My wife is sat there totally amazed that I got home at 10 o'clock last night and had a chance to prepare a PowerPoint. But there we go. I'm a wonder miracle worker or something. But there we go, the kingdom of God. Let's move on. Next slide, please. And, and what we've got here is something which tells us that the kingdom of God is all over the Old Testament. These are just three verses. There are hundreds of them, literally. The Lord shall reign. That's a king. Forever and ever. Exodus 15. Psalm 47. For God is the king of all the earth. Psalm 47, 7. And, and finally, Isaiah 32, 1. Behold a king who will reign righteously. This king is different. He will reign righteously, unlike many kings of the time. So the idea that God is king is all over the Old Testament. When you get a minute, go home and cast your way through the Psalms, only 150 of them, and you'll find kingship everywhere. That God is king. Bear in mind, it can't be really a piece of real estate because about one quarter of the time, from Abraham to Jesus, the people of God weren't in that piece of real estate. They were somewhere else, either Egypt or Babylon. So you can't label it as a piece of real estate, which is what perhaps, and here I'm treading on difficult areas, people think of as the kingdom. It's not a piece of real estate. It's a group of people who named Jesus as king. It's a new dimension. So here's the, the new dimension of the New Testament. Next one, please. Um, and we've got here, this is the, the, the sort of great announcement of the kingdom. It's in Mark 1, verse 14 and 15. I, I want to take it apart for a minute, if I can, and then put it back together again. Now, what is it saying? Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. What's this mean? Well, lots of things. The kingdom of God is good news. It's gospel. It's good news for those who will receive it. It will be good news for any of your friends to receive. It's the best news any friend of yours will ever get. And sometimes I think we, we somehow have got this a bit out of kilter and think, well, you know, good news is about that or this or this or something happens and we get promoted or something or, you know, and the best news that a man or woman or a boy and girl can find is the good news of the kingdom of God. It is life transforming, it is eternal. Nothing else is. So let's understand, it, it's, it's good news. It's God's kingdom and Jesus is saying, I'm preaching it. You could argue that this statement is a claim that Jesus is saying, I'm God. I'm preaching it. I'm telling you about this kingdom. I've come into the, I have, to coin the theological phrase, I am bringing the kingdom. I am inaugurating it. I'm bringing it into the earth. I'm saying, this is it. Look at me. That's what Jesus is saying. He is a preacher, a messenger of the kingdom. Fulfilled. Now that's interesting because fulfillment usually means that it's something that comes at the end of something else, isn't it? It's fulfilled. It's been going on. You think back over the Old Testament. 
You think of God's people trying to get it right, trying to obey, trying to follow, getting it wrong, blowing it. God forgives them, restores them, brings them back, and so on and so on. And then 400 years of absolute hush between Malachi and Jesus. And John the Baptist says, there's somebody coming. There's somebody coming. I'm not even worthy to touch his sandals. But he's coming. And, and when you read the beginning of the Gospels, and I have done this week, you, you get a kind of tingle factor, you know. Wow, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Fantastic. And it's fulfilled. All that the Old Testament is pointing us towards about how men and women live in relationship with God is going to be fulfilled in this one man who is God, Jesus it's at hand too. It's now. It's not only fulfilled all that's gone before, but it's, it's at hand. It's, it's right now. Just like in a minute, coffee will be at hand. It's, it's now. We're going to get it. The kingdom is at hand, Jesus is saying. The time is now. And there is a need for action. Look at the end of it. There's something there which says you've got to repent and believe. Repent. You've been going this way, this way, this way. God says, turn around and go this way, repent, and believe in me, not in it, not in an idea, not in an ism or an ology, but in me. That's either arrogant or dead right. Take your choice. And you cannot hide this wonderful piece of excitement that the gospel writers are saying. If you look at the end of the passage that Charles read to us, he says it again, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And Jesus is so keen to put across to his listeners the urgency that there's, it's near, it's repent, it's believe, it's now. Now, my friends, look at the world we live in. If you can bear it. I'm even going off news night and I never thought I'd say that. You know, do I have to listen to any more people arguing about this, that, or the other? I'll leave you to fill the gaps in. But, but you know, it's, it's... Do you really believe? Do you really believe that the one message this world needs is the kingdom of God is near? Repent and believe the gospel, the good news that Jesus died to save you. Do you really believe that? Does that affect the way you do your work? the way you talk across your fence, the way you play your golf, even. I've been on a golf jolly this week. It's, it's been great. Four days of solid golf. You might, for some of you, purgatory. For some of you, that's absolute joy. Um, but it was joy for me. And, uh, you know, all the time, not all the time, but on occasions, conversations come up, saying, what's the world about? Where are we going? What's happening? Well, there's something very interesting in this passage, which I have to do. You know me, I have to do a little bit of history every time I preach. But there's something absolutely fascinating in this passage. If you notice, um, Jesus heard that John had been put in prison. Now, does that mean that when he retires to Galilee, he's panicking? Ooh, get me out of here. The going's getting rough. Get me out. Look at it carefully. He, he leaves, leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum. Capernaum's on the Lake of Galilee. It's a nice place to live. It's a beautiful place. And he went and lived in Capernaum to fulfill something about two funny names, Naphtali and Zebulun. You might say, what are they doing there? What's that about? 
Well, the answer's in chapter 9 of Isaiah. When Isaiah, after the gloom and doom of chapter 8, and he talks about all the things that Israel is doing wrong, he comes out with a brilliant statement at the beginning of Isaiah chapter 9, where he says something like this, there will be no more gloom. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. It's the quote from this passage, uh, Matthew 4. They're two of the 12 tribes. Where are they? They're in Galilee. They're two names that roughly conform to the area we call Galilee. In the past, he humbled them. They'd been the source of all sorts of armies that had walked through them and messed them around. Do you know the next verse? The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. Isaiah, writing in the past tense, the people have seen about a light that is coming 700 years ahead of him. Now do you see why Jesus withdrew to Galilee? Because here he is in the place where Isaiah, 700 years before, had said, this is where it's going to start. The kingdom is coming, my friends. And Jesus is exactly in the place where Jesus said, and we read this every Christmas, and every Christmas I say, please read verse 1. Don't start at verse 2. Because you read later, don't we, that we'll have a wonderful counsellor, a mighty God, an everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. That's the kingdom. That's who's coming. And Isaiah saw it. And he put it in those precise geographical locations. And Jesus withdrew to them. Here it is. Here is the kingdom. Another place you, um, you look at kingdoms is when Satan tries to tempt Jesus. What does he say? Jesus, you can have all these kingdoms. Cheeky monkey, they weren't even his to give. How dare he? Jesus says, my kingdom ain't like that, Satan. Get behind me. Go away. This is not my kingdom. This is not what it's like. Now, just a quick uh, pause before we move to the last bit. It's called info pause on my wonderful, trendy um, PowerPoint, which I'm so proud of. Um, can we move on to the next one, please? Thank you very much. Now, just so that you know, uh, we're going to be doing a lot of work in this area, so you need to know that the kingdom of God is mainly in Luke and Mark. Matthew normally uses the kingdom of heaven. They're exactly the same. Uh, there's about 100 references, only two in John. Acts has six, Paul's letters have eight. That's enough of that. Turn it off. Right. So you've got some info anyway. At least you know something about it. That's, that's what's going to happen as, as we go through this. There's a little bit of pause for some information about the kingdom. The kingdom, the kingdom. It's always the kingdom. Some people even call, call it about the kingdom of Christ. It's the same thing. Now, what's this got to do with us? Well, I, I think it's got huge amounts to do with us. Jesus announces the kingdom. Jesus is the bringer of the kingdom. Jesus is the son of David. Matthew 1 1, first verse in the New Testament. Kingship is on the agenda. Joseph is referred to as the son of David when the angels visit him. Jesus is born to be king, and his message attracted huge crowds. They suddenly said, the people said, this is it, this is what we've been waiting for. 
It's just something we've longed for. Is influence spread. People came. People were healed. People were restored. Their lives were changed as Jesus proclaimed the wonderful news of this new kingdom. So the place is humming with teachings of Jesus. Everyone's talking about it. And when he saw the crowds, we read, he took his disciples away up a mountain and he taught them so that they would know what the kingdom meant. Now, you see, this is marriage together, the two readings. The disciples were beginning to say, what on earth is going on here? What is this about? Jesus said, well, come on, guys, let's go away somewhere. Let's go quietly. And let me tell you what the kingdom values that I have are all about. They're about being poor in spirit, about mourning. And my friends, we have got to learn how to live kingdom values in the world that you and I inhabit, wherever that may be, in your networks, in my networks, in the places you go, in the places you live. And, and if we could get, I've got to quote this because it, every time I come up against the Beatitudes, it reminds me of one moment in my life when I was on the Mount of Beatitudes in Galilee. And we went up there and I read Matthew 5 to the people that were there and the guide had told us and we were walking off the, the Mount of Beatitudes and Michael, bless him, um, was, a, was a fantastic tourist guide. He was wonderful. Uh, I loved him to bits. We had long discussions. And do you, know, do you know what he said? As we came off that mountain, he, he grabbed my arm like that. And he said, Dave, if you Christians live that, you change the world. That's exactly the words he said to me. He's a Jewish man for whom the Old Testament means everything, for whom the Old Testament is interesting. If you Christians live that, you change the world. I have never forgotten that moment. He was great to talk about lots of ideas, but that's the one I remember about Michael, the tank commander who did six months of tour guiding. Wonderful man. But that's what it's about. Now, how does Jesus communicate these things? Well, he communicates them often in parables. I've just made a little list. Next slide, please, if you could. Um, let's have the next one. Hop, there we go. This is just a selection. Uh, when you get home, you've all got computers, or most of you have anyway. Kingdom, Kingdom of God parables. Google it, and you'll find all these and lots more. Um, but there's some of them. The weeds. What's the weeds about? Um, if I sow seed, the weeds come. At the harvest, at the end time, there's a harvest. What do we do? Take the harvest, burn the weeds. The kingdom will be divisive. There will be a harvest of those who named Jesus as their king. The weeds are chucked in a valley and burnt. That's tough talk. That's not me, that's Jesus. What about the next one? The mustard seed. I love the mustard seed. Tiddly seed. I'm rubbish at this sort of stuff, but I'll do my best. The mustard seed is very, very tiny, but it becomes huge. Now, whether that's about an individual who God plants the word in and it grows and it multiplies and it flows out of them, or whether it's about us when God plants the seed of the kingdom in this community and it grows and it grows and it grows. It could be either. You take it how you want to take it. What about the hidden treasure? Have you ever seen these metal detector types? 
I, I think I might like one one day, actually. Can, somebody can buy it. No, no, I mustn't solicit presents. It's very naughty. Um, but, but this guy found one thing, one thing. He said, look, look what's in that field. Look at this. It's so valuable. I'll sell everything I've got because I want that field. I don't want anything else. I just want that field. And, and I wonder if the kingdom of God is that precious to me. I wonder if it's the thing that I would sell everything else for the sake of having that. That's what it says. And you can go on. The king and his servants, there's so many other ones. I, I haven't got time to, to do that but with you, but go and look at it yourself. There's so many wonderful little stories, nuggets. And, and in the day of Jesus, they would have said, oh, yeah, yeah, we understand that. Oh, yeah, yeah we get that. Uh, some of the images you need to work out a bit, but that's how it is. Now, the realm of the kingdom, as we close, what have we got now? Well, Revelation reminds us, doesn't it, that one day there will be a fantastic kingdom, new heaven, new earth, Revelation 21, we'll be there. I hope you will be. If you know Jesus, I'll see you there. Brilliant. I have the top table, you have lesser ones, but don't worry about it, it's okay. Uh, I don't mean that. Um, it's, that's how it's going to be, a table of celebration around with the Lord. But what about now? Most orthodox theologians, and I say that very carefully, uh, believe in what's often called a partial kingdom. What we have now is not everything. We are so blessed to be known as children of God, to dwell in his kingdom, and the very reason we're going to study the Beatitudes is that the Beatitudes should make us more Christ-like and draw us further and further into that kingdom and how it should be lived. But it's still subject to frustration. What we have is not the final version at the moment. We live in a sinful world. We, we live in a place that's full of frustrations. Don't we? Am I the only one that lives in a world like that? We live there, don't we? Now, if we have, as some people claim, the complete kingdom now, then why isn't living on earth like living in heaven? It isn't. So what we have now is partial. One day with him forever. My friends, God's reign over his people lasts right the way through the Bible. And it is about whether or not God's people say, Lord. You can't say no to a Lord. You can only say yes. Yes, Lord. I am your servant. I will do what I can with the strength that you give me in the power of your Holy Spirit. What is it we say? To live and work to your praise and glory. I will do what I can. Living in this partial kingdom which has got so many blessings and so many privileges because I have my eyes fixed on the final bit. I live, as one theologian said, in the light of his coming. I live looking forward, pressing forward, leaving what is behind towards the goal that brings me heavenward. Are you living like that? Or are you so immersed in the day-to-day -day as I can be, just like you, that I don't see the goal? I don't see where I'm going. I don't see that this 
kingdom living, which I'm now part of and I'm receiving many blessings from, has a wonderful consummation when truly the kingdom is brought together and one day with Christ forever. But in the meantime, we are not to become people who say, well, I'm waiting for eternity. So I can't be bothered with this terrible, stinking, horrible world. We have in this congregation 200 plus people who could go and live beatitude, kingdom values and change the world that they live in. We could make a difference to one person, two people. But let's at least take a look at the fact that we are so privileged to be where we are. It's fantastic. But live in the light of his coming. Let's press on toward the mark that draws me heavenward. And that, in 20 minutes, is the kingdom of God. If you want more, I'll keep going all day. But probably you've got roast beef in the oven. Let me pray, and then we'll move on. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you created a kingdom, that you sent your son, who was the bringer of the kingdom, who was the one who brought the good news of the kingdom, the one who said, I I want you to live in, in different ways, I want you to stand out and make a difference so that other men and women and boys and girls can hear the kingdom values that I hold. Lord, teach us through this series, I pray, as we go through it. Teach us to learn these precious values of what it truly means to be poor in spirit and to mourn. And remind ourselves that the last last beatitude says, For of such is the kingdom of heaven. Give us a vision, we pray, of what this community could be like living out those values in such a way that men and women are drawn to the one and only person of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.